The last thing each day is to set an alarm for the first thing with Mike Parsons and Renee Vitale on 760 WJR. All right, the band is back together. Jason, welcome back. Wait, I, I, yes, welcome back, Jason. Uh, anybody else, Renee? Uh, oh, oh, welcome back. Welcome back, Mike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey. Look, here's the thing. I, I'm, I'm happy to see Jason, too. This, this whole operation just goes off the rails without him. So I miss oh, both of you immensely. Thank you so much. I love Lloyd well, Jackson and had a good time, but missing both of you yesterday. Well, here's what I said, and no disrespect to you, Renee. When I heard Jason was coming, I said, Jason's not doing first thing. I'm not doing first thing. Is that what you said? Yeah. (laughs) I don't think so. I like to to live by the motto, you can't miss me unless I go away. That's right. (laughs) There it is. And and, uh, Jason was a little under the weather, so I've been standing outside uh, his front window holding candlelight vigils until he was better. (laughs) And uh, not not to uh, brag. Some would call me a hero, and who am I to tell them uh, <laughs> that they're wrong? But no. Or you were on yeah, special just, assignment. The, the cops were sick of coming to my house. They're like, stop calling. He's right. no threat. He's no threat. He's just trying to help. Uh, Jason, um, once you feel better, do you think you can come bail me out of jail? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so Jason's feeling better. Yes, I was on special assignment, and uh, uh, it's good to be back. It's uh, it feels like a Monday, but it's a Friday. And, uh, you know, what? people don't want to hear me bragging about my three day work week. So I'm going to move on to the bad news. And uh, like you said in your uh, traffic and weather there, Renee, we are under a winter. Was it a winter storm advisory? Uh, winter weather PM? advisory. OK, winter yep. weather. That's it's a little less severe than a winter yep. storm advisory. Right. Winter winter. Um, there was uh, like just like yesterday morning, just a, a a a very light dusting on the roads, but just enough to make it slippery out there. Well, it, and it's that perfect storm, literally, where it's it's those temperatures that the ice is not melting properly because of the salt uh, that, you know, it's too cold for the salt to work. Right. So, you know, just you got to give yourself extra time. In fact, if you learned anything yesterday, it may may take you double the time to get to where you're going today. Yeah. And I mean, yesterday it ended up getting into like the mid 20s, which which felt tropical. I mean, I was I was out clearing uh, my my sidewalk, which is which was futile because what are we getting? We're getting another one to three inches today. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're supposed to get more of the over. Yeah. Between. Between this afternoon and tonight, another one to three inches. Yeah. And then it's going to be in the mid-30s raining early next week. Do I even shovel? Do I even bother shoveling? The only person I really shovel for is your mailman. Is the mailman. <laughs> What's that? The mailman. Yeah, the mailman. So he doesn't slip on my uh, porch just, and I get sued by the federal government. Just just throw some rocks out, salt down. You'll be fine. Yeah. That's true. We've got the uh, we got the pet-friendly ice melter for our, our little uh, little dog, Trudy. That's very nice of you. Yes, but uh, so. uh, And and then Saturday, tomorrow morning, we are back to dangerous wind chills of 15 to 18 below zero. So uh, this winter, winter was just biting its time in December so they could punch us in the mouth here in January. It's biting our kneecaps right now. It is. We're like uh, we're like the NFC and and they're like the Detroit Lions. Yep. (laughs) And we got more to go. 
That's yeah, that's Mother Nature right now. <laughs> Not Dan Campbell. <laughs> right. They're like, hey, we had a down to summer, but we can bounce back. All right. Well, speaking of here we go again, uh, Congress passed a short term funding bill. This time, the entire Congress, not like the last two deals made by congressional leaders only. So the government will stay funded through March, and then we'll do this all over again. Good for them. I'm, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm bored of this every it's two like months. It's like Groundhog's Day. Right. Seriously, well, every couple months. Yeah. I, look, just just call me if the mail stops. Just call me if uh, you know my, my my government buildings are closed. Other than that, I. It, it's it's Groundhog's Day, and it's yeah. not even February. Right. Um, so, God, this was tough to watch yesterday. The Department of Justice, they released their report on the shooting at Robb Elementary in Uvalde, Tech, Texas, back in 2022. 18-year-old gunman, he killed the 19 students and two teachers, injuring another 17 people. Attorney General Merrick Garland, uh, he called law enforcement's response a cascading failure Mm-hmm. yesterday at a press conference and said there was no urgency in establishing a command post and that they repeatedly communicated inaccurate information. Uvalde police, they arrived within minutes of the gunman entering the school in the classroom. But after facing gunfire, uh, one was injured. The rest of them retreated. And for 77 minutes, as other law enforcement agencies uh, arrived, they fell back until they eventually went inside the classroom and killed the shooter. Um, like I said, multiple agencies began arriving on the scene until a tactical unit sh- showed up and neutralized the threat. And there were so many missteps and, and, and miscues. I mean, we could spend the whole show talking about this. And, yeah. and the more I go back and refresh myself on the facts, the more sick to my stomach I, I got. I mean, the press conference was tough to watch. And you could tell Merrick Garland, he was on the verge of tears. And the fact that the police were on the scene for over an hour and children were in there and the teachers with the gunmen wondering why no one was coming to help them just just makes it so terrifying and heartbreaking. Well, they said they began to treat the situation as a barricaded suspect operation that didn't need immediate action instead of an active shooter situation. Right. And I mean, this, this report wasn't anything that we didn't know already, but, but all this, all this information kind of came out over the subsequent days and weeks after the shooting and to just have it all there in one press conference. And just to kind of, just just to kind of remember how terrible this story was. I mean, for, for people who just watch it on the news from afar, um, it, it, it was, it was tough to watch. I can only imagine what it was like for the families who had to hear this, um, I I wouldn't even say it's reopening old wounds because those wounds never healed in the first place. Yeah. You know, and they said the report concludes bluntly. The response was a failure. Yeah. And I I mean, nobody knew who was in charge. Um, Yeah, it it was a lot of standing around. What do you do? What do we do? I don't know. What do you want to do? Do you think we should go? And I don't know. It seems scary in there. That that's what it sounded like. Me. Right. And, and here's the thing. I, I, I will never be able to put myself in the shoes of law enforcement in a situation like that. But we've seen time after time after time what the proper law enforcement response is. Right. And obviously this wasn't it, to, to put it mildly. And, um, you know, hopefully there's some accountability. Hopefully, like I said, I, I don't know if there's healing, but hopefully there's closure and, and validation here with the families. Yep.
Um, so if we were concerned about the conflict between Israel and Hamas uh, spreading throughout the Middle East, I think that horse has left the barn. Uh, the U.S. and bombing between Houthis continues for a fifth round. Earlier in the week, Iran struck targets in Syria, Iraq, and Pakistan with drones and missile strikes, saying that the attacks were to co- combat terrorism and self-defense. Uh, they said it was in retaliation for that bombing back in January that killed 90 people in Iran at, at the memorial service for the slain Iranian general. And then Pakistan, they launched their own retaliatory strike in Iran, killing at not least nine people yesterday. The strike targeted the Balakh militant group, and I'm sure we're going to be learning uh, a, a lot about them over the next few uh, next few weeks. And hopefully I'm saying that right. If not, it'll be corrected quickly. But Mm -hmm. the Balakh militant group has entered the uh, has has entered the the conflict here. Both countries are accusing the other one of harboring terrorist groups, which is bad news because both countries have nuclear capabilities. And the Saudi ambassador to the United States spoke at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland on Thursday, saying any potential normalization agreement with Israel would have to include a ceasefire in Gaza and a pathway towards a Palestinian state, a proposal that Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu rejected again. So this thing is not ending anytime soon, and it seems like it's it's spilling out all over the region. Yeah, uh, uh, I, I don't. What does he want? What What would make this guy happy? Well, what he wants is he he wants Hamas completely wiped off the map. And well, sure, I, and like, I understand that. Yeah, and it seems like other people in uh, other countries in the region want there to be some kind of peaceful coexistence. Yeah, and I my guess is that. Benjamin Netanyahu sees all of Palestine and Hamas as one and the same. And so it seems like there's there's other people in the region, including the U.S., trying to um, work with him to find some kind of diplomatic solution where both coexist. Right. And um, and and he's not interested. No, he's not. So it continues on. And uh, some good news, obviously, Sunday. Lions are hosting the Bucks at Ford Field. That's expected to be a $32 million day for for, for Detroit. And I think wow. a lot of that is, is probably parking, Renee, because Help Me Hank was going around looking at parking prices. And on top of the tickets being the most expensive in the league, he was seeing parking averaging about $142. That is insane. How is this even allowed? That sounds like price gouging, doesn't it? We need Dana Nessel to look into this. Or, right. or, or, or at least, hey, help me, Hank. You, you know the problem. Go go do your help me, Hank magic. I yeah. don't know. Go bust into some parking uh, yeah. company's office and be like, why? Obviously, we know why they're so well, expensive. You but. know, I mean, that's something that you have to budget for. If you're going, I don't, you know, this obviously is extreme. But now when you go to a concert or in the summer, you go to a baseball game. It, you still have to budget for the parking. It used to be like, oh, okay, a couple beers, a couple hot dogs. You have to right. budget almost more for the parking, and parking than the concessions. Normally, parking normally for regular games, Pistons games, Tigers games, 60 bucks. Yeah, I was going to say 50, 60 bucks. How many parking spaces can I get for this kidney? Right, exactly. But it's, I mean, what it's doing, it's putting these big events out of the range of your average sports fan. Right. Well, and then it, you look at the option of, Maybe we could Uber down there and back. Right. 
But I feel like they're staying on par with that, too, because that's what so many people are thinking is the alternative. Because you've yeah. got that See, dynamic pricing and that, uh, what do they call it, surge pricing. Right. So, uh, you know what? That's why you park far away and, and take the queue line down. It'll take you an hour, but at least you'll save some money. And real quick before we go to break, better keep winning to keep offensive coordinator Ben Johnson with us as long as we can. He's got four virtual interviews lined up, Panthers, Chargers, what? Seahawks, and Commanders. And, Renee, you asked me a question real quick before the show. How's he going to do all that and win a game this weekend? That seems like a lot. Don't worry. He said it won't take any time away from game planning. He said, if anything, it'll take time away from his family. So rest assured, <laughs> Lions you're the priority. First uh, thing, Mike Parsons, Renee Vitale, WJR. All right. And if you're just joining us, careful on the roads out there. At least uh, in my downriver community, there was a... Uh, light dusting that uh, wasn't really much accumulation wise, but uh, but with the temperatures just enough to make it slick. We've got a uh, we've got a winter weather advisory until till when, Renee? One o'clock this afternoon. One o'clock. Supposed to get some snow overnight tomorrow morning. Wind chills back fifteen to eighteen degrees. But next week, next week we're gonna. Uh, be in the upper 30s. So I'm going to have my shorts and oh, no. Hawaiian shirts ready to go. We're going to hit 40. Beach volleyball, my... anyone? Beach volleyball? Yes. <laughs> like Top Gun. Right. Me I... and Jason are going to be out there shirtless like Val Kilmer and Tom Cruise in the 80s. With your navigator sunglasses all glistening and shirtless. Wearing my wearing my Bermudas. <laughs> my pedal pushers. I can't wait to see this. <laughs> Yeah, playing, playing with the anyway. <clears throat> so, uh, you know what? That's for next week. I'm sorry. Only three more sleeps until Winter Beach volleyball with Jason. I can't wait. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so this is interesting. After months of saying that he would only testify publicly, Hunter Biden has agreed to appear before House Republicans for a private desk uh, deposition. Um, next month on February 28th um, about, um, uh, let's see, wh- which court case is this uh, about? Um, uh, Pick a card, any card. Which one it's is like it? Don- it's like Donald Trump. I can't I, tell I what they're. Oh, oh it's about uh, his fa- him and his father allegedly using uh, Joe Biden's position as vice president when he was vice president in their international business dealing. So that's what they're going to be. Um, doing a deposition on February 28th privately, uh, which means which means that, uh, you know, these dramatics and these theatrics of him showing up and giving a press conference and leaving, saying that he'd only testify pro- uh, publicly, showing up to uh, that hearing last week, I believe, and then leaving abruptly was was just that theatrics and, and dramatics. Somebody was in his ear saying, you know what, this is probably not a good idea. I mean, I appreciate the showmanship. Oh, there was showmanship. That's for sure. Jeez, I mean, oh, at, this point, at this point, I'm just rooting for something interesting for us to talk about. And we're getting plenty of that. But I don't know if that's in the best interest of uh, doing the people's business. Right. But again, Hunter Biden's not really an elected official. So uh, there we go. They're going to get their uh, private deposition. And uh, so here's my question. Are are we done with primary debates now? Obviously, uh, all the debates in New Hampshire were canceled heading into the primary next week. I think there was one scheduled uh, yesterday mm-hmm. um, because Donald Trump 
hasn't participated since the beginning. Nikki Haley said she won't do any more debating unless Trump or Biden uh, are there, which which led to the cancellation of this week's debate. ABC News had to cancel it because the only person who was there who was going to do it was was Ron DeSantis. And um, last week, while the candidates were still in Iowa, polling showed Nikki Haley was within single digits of Trump, but she has since uh, slipped back into double digits. And I don't blame her. I mean, when you saw how badly her and Ron DeSantis ended up losing to Donald Trump in Iowa, uh, what was it? Donald Trump, he he got more votes than both of them combined. I think it showed you just how pointless these these debates have become without the front runner actually participating. Sure. I, I guess focus your energy elsewhere, your time and energy. I, I understand that. However, I would like to I would like to see her and DeSantis go up against Trump and, uh, you know, yeah, obviously, I think, if he's not going to show, he's not going to show. I think that I, somehow there should be some requirement that if you're running for president of the United States, that it, there should be a requirement that you have to go do these things. Yeah, I agree. And, and conventional thinking is like, OK, if you don't show up for the debates, then it's going to hurt you in in the election. And Donald <laughs> that's Trump not the is, world is, we live in, though. No, Donald Trump has flipped that all on on its head. And obviously what we saw in in Iowa People even uh, people who uh, aren't Donald Trump's spin machine were saying that it was a historic win. And obviously, it's if anything, it's helped them other than hurt him. But I mean, after a while, it did seem very futile that you just had second and third place debating for first runner up to right. Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. I mean. And and I get it. It gives them national exposure. But I think Nikki Haley is seeing what everyone else is seeing and saying, look, debating debating Ron DeSantis without Donald Trump and without ultimately Joe Biden, we're, we're just spinning our wheels. And nobody's watching it. I mean, the numbers have proved that. Yeah. I And I'm sure this is typical of 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 all campaign seasons where like the first debate especially in the primary was your highest rated and then they kind of taper off. But I would imagine, um, and I'd have to look into the numbers that, 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 you know, those numbers probably uh, were much lower this primary season than, than ones in the past. Sure. And I also have a feeling by the time the primary rolls around to Michigan on February 27th, um, it will be over. It, it might even be over after New Hampshire. Everyone's saying this is a, a make or break, um, primary for for Nikki Haley but make her break for what I mean it, it, she's not going to catch Donald Trump is it making break so that she can continue campaigning for another week or two before ultimately not getting the nomination anyway yeah. and, and it's just kind of like it, 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 it almost just seems like these news outlets are just trying to find some kind of angle to make it interesting yeah um now you found a, a, an interesting study yeah, that uh, some 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 management types who really, really want to drag people back to the office might not be too fond of. Yeah, well, since covid, you know, there's been a lot of talk about what's more efficient working from home or in an office. But the results here seem pretty clear cut. 
working from home is the better option. Researchers looked at how many times the average employee got interrupted while working in person and remotely. At the office, people were interrupted 17 times per week. That's 3.4 times a day, 884 times a year. At home, it was only 14 times per week. So around 2.8 interruptions per day, 723 times a year. So that's 18% fewer interruptions than at the office. And then it also looked at how many hours of deep focus the average person had. And working from home was better for that too. 18.6 hours a week at the office, 22.8 hours at home. Uh, So that's an extra four and a half hours a week. So that's a a half a work day, a 22% gain. So in other words, sure, you might get distracted at home by the pets or the kids sometimes, but there's still less of a disruption than the annoying coworker who wants to chat your ear off about whatever. Their love hey, life. I, hey, did it, I, I'm right here. I <laughs> I enjoy our, our water cooler talk, Mike. <laughs> That's right. Just spitballing here. Uh, yeah. It, it, and I mean, here's the thing. Over COVID, I, I did not work remotely. I've been doing uh, some working remotely over the past few weeks. And um, I, I mean, I get it. I get it. I mean, even um, when you're driving in to the office, you're, 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 you're thinking to yourself, God, this is 20 minutes where I'm doing nothing but driving. Like, right. I, I could be getting things done right now. And especially days like this where your commute's doubled. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't I don't get these companies it, unless there's no way that you can do business other than in person. I don't get these companies dragging yeah. their employees back, kicking and screaming, um, telling them that if they don't come back in they could be terminated yeah it's uh, right. the only thing i can think about is 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 that you know maybe maybe there's some executive types trying to justify their their salaries i don't know but if, um, if you're hitting the goals and you're getting the job done and your numbers or whatever it is that is part of your uh your job description what does it matter where you're sitting and doing it right and and, and we talk about this on the show a lot it was very interesting back during the pandemic when when these companies were having a hard time finding people to 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 staff their uh their businesses them saying oh yes you know you can work from home you can be just as productive at home as in yeah. the office uh we may never make you come back to the office yeah. you can probably just work at home forever and now they're like Get your butt back into the office or find somewhere else to sell right. insurance or, or, or something. Yep. Yeah. Um, so having a red car is a great <laughs> it, studies have shown um, it's a great way to get pulled over. Um, it's uh, people driving red cars get pulled over more than any other color. That's but, a fact. But. Wearing red might also have other advantages. Yeah, so if you're looking for another opportunity to wear that bold red evening gown in the closet, (laughs) here's one. Your flight. This recent report (laughs) claims that wearing the color red when you fly can help make you show up on your flight looking like Jessica Rabbit. Yes, there you go. That's exactly how I fly. Um, It can help (laughs) you make your travel day smoother and less anxiety inducing. The idea is that red subconsciously makes people think that you're more important or of higher status. So airline staff may be more attentive to you and red might even attract more favorable treatment, like giving you a seat upgrade or extra snacks and drinks. 
And there's studies to back this up, but they aren't unique to air travel. Uh, the blog that published this article is focused on airline tips, but the research is about how the color red is just generally associated with perceived attractiveness and how red can impact alertness and reaction times. So if you or someone you know wants to get a lot of special treatment from airline staff, maybe it's worth testing out. If you do not feel like waiting for your peanuts and ginger ale, <laughs> wear red. <laughs> well, and I think maybe red's just a more attention-grabbing color. Right. Um, whether it, And it can work to your advantage or to, to your disadvantages. You drive a red car, you get pulled over more. You wear red on a flight. Maybe subconsciously you just stick out more because mm-hmm. it's a it's a bold, vibrant color. Yeah, so I'm I'm gonna be flying in a couple of months. I'm gonna test the theory out and I'll check back. Yeah, maybe I, I maybe mean, I'll check in from first class. Who knows? Maybe. <laughs> the Delta sitting, Flight Club. Right. You're you're just sitting there in your, your uh red evening gown on a plane like <laughs> like back in the nineteen fifties. Right, when people, people dressed to... up. <laughs> right. I just imagine they they send us somewhere to do an on location remote. <laughs> I'm all I'm all walking back to the rest of the cattle and coach. I walk by you with the wearing your evening gown, sipping champagne, You're like, have a good flight. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thing is, Renee, though I don't know if you if you need the evening gown, it could probably be a a, a red shirt. But if if a evening gown makes you feel good on a flight, then then God bless. A red velour tracksuit. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> it says juicy on the butt. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah. I wonder if the same would work uh, at Applebee's, who uh, it, it has a heck of a deal going on. And this yeah. is not a commercial. No, we're less than a month away from Valentine's Day. And so this could be good. I don't know. Um, so if your significant other likes Applebee's a lot, there's an exciting deal for you. Applebee's is going to be selling a date night pass for $200 starting next Monday while supplies last. You're going to get a card that's good for one year. It gives you $30 for food and non-alcoholic drinks on every visit. You can only use it once per day. So basically, you'd have to go at least seven times to make your money back, but you can use it up to 52 times through January 31st of 2025. So it could max out at $1,560 in discounts. So if you... Oh God! Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, go go ahead with your If you subtract the $200 you paid for it, it's $1,360 in savings. I was going to say, is Applebee's trying to go out of business here? <laughs> the only like the that. only thing is, though, you have to wear red. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. Just kidding. Right. Deal. Deal. But uh, remember this movie pass thing where, like, you would, you, you would uh, do a monthly subscription and see as many movies as you wanted oh, to yeah. see? Oh, yeah. That didn't work you know, well for them, did it? No, you know why? Because their business model was hoping the majority of people who bought it wouldn't use it. And they did. And, right. And the, the song you like to sing. Surprise, surprise. People <laughs> who buy these subscriptions are are frugal. So oh, yeah. they are going to use it to their full advantage and right. they win belly up. All right. Uh, Got to take a quick break. First thing, Mike Parsons, Renee Vitale, WJR. And we are heading into JR Morning with Guy Gordon and Lloyd Jackson and Lloyd, thank you for uh, filling in the last couple of days, adding a little class to this program. <laughs> oh, you are very welcome. Listen, I know you were uh, in the bowels uh, taking care of some uh, uh, business for us, and we appreciate you as well. 
Yes. In the where? In the bowels. <laughs> yes. I in was the bowels, boiling away. In the bowels of well, the Fisher Building. Well, I hope you shower before you come in, Mike. <laughs> right. right. I got demoted to the guy who shovels the coal into the furnace for a couple of days. <laughs> like Milton from Office Space, they just c- kept moving my desk further and further away until I was in the bowels of the building. Oh, wow. All right. So, look, the only story right now. Well, the biggest story here is is that that game coming up on Sunday, we got the Bucks coming in, and uh, the 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 crowd was 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 pretty amped. I'm sure we've all seen the numbers. Ford Field they hit a decibel level of 133.6, making it the fourth loudest stadium in history, about uh, the equivalent to a military jet aircraft taking off. And all I've been seeing from wow. Lions fans on social media is challenge accepted. We got to get to number one this week. We can yes. do better. Yes. Yeah, we, we beat can. our own record. The previous record was 127.6. Yeah, we have to do that so they can uh, get rid of some of those timeouts because they can't hear. We got we, we need help. Right. <laughs> That's know. the strategy. Yeah. Sure we are going to be happy until we all suffer permanent hearing loss. <laughs> That's right. And a win. <laughs> you so, know, if you want to win. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, did you did you guys hear Baker Mayfield? He spoke to the media on Wednesday and what he said when he spoke to some L.A. Rams players about how loud it was. He said talking to some of those guys, they said it was the loudest thing that they've ever heard. And we have to be completely ready for that. Yeah, Baker. Well, we're already in their heads. Look, if you want to if you want to win a championship, you've got to sacrifice things like your hearing. I mean, how badly do you want to win this? That's Let's go. Right. Where you've are your priorities, so mister? Well, you've got Ben Johnson sacrificing his family this weekend for his interviews. So right. Ben Johnson has four virtual interviews today and tomorrow, but he 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 reassured the Lions fans that that won't take time away from his game planning. If anything, it'll take time away from his family. So no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> Priorities. Um, yeah, right. Well, it, I don't. I don't know if you guys have seen, but those Decker reported billboards those those have been refreshed for the uh, for for the playoff oh, no. game coming up this week. What is the same um, now? Um, I couldn't. Jumana Cruz. A, <laughs> Jumana, yeah. <laughs> Surprise! She's the one behind it. Uh, there was. I, I couldn't tell specifically, but there was like a, a line, line scratches through the, the San Francisco 49ers. So, nice. um, oh. it, and here's the thing. Everybody wants to know who's behind these. I kind of don't. I kind of like the mystery of this. It, yeah. it kind of reminds me of when I used to listen to Alan Allman and you didn't know what the guy looked like. <laughs> I, I kind of like a mystery like this. <laughs> who cares? I mean, who cares? Just keep the billboards coming. He, who, he or she is putting up our feelings on the billboard. So, you know, we're all, all one, all one pride. Yep. And it's funny because Taylor Decker, he, he actually saw the Decker reported billboard and, uh, you know, it, uh, <laughs> it, it, he, he said he got kind of a charge out of it. So, um, they, it must be working. Well, I'm sure he still had a charge left over from, uh, Mr. Allen's call. I mean, he's probably been pretty charged since then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and then he it, right, and then there was another one during the Rams game. Not quite, not quite as as egregious, but there was a, a phantom uh, false start penalty um, from him. So are we going to get a new song from Eminem, a new opening song uh, on Sunday? And well, oh, I the, hope, the, I hope so. Will the Swifties get upset because I put, hope so? <laughs> <laughs> you put him on the air. Well, you got to know that NBC wants to ride this pro Lions wave. You know it. And that open that they produced was 
It's all awesome. spectacular. It was awesome. Yeah. I mean, it, it nailed what it's been like to be a Lions fan since at least the beginning of the Stafford era. And uh, it, it was cool to see that that NBC was focusing on the Lions. J.R. Morning coming up. The Ann Arbor School Board passed a resolution calling for a ceasefire in Gaza at their meeting late Wednesday night, early Thursday morning. Ben Maku, superintendent of Novi Public Schools, gives his insight to Chris Renwick on J.R. Afternoon. So obviously, not only is this developing, still developing situation in the Middle East, a topic of conversation amongst those at the dinner table every night, but but uh, amongst our students in our school systems as well. And it is an incredibly difficult subject to to talk about because there is so much history. There's so much information. And while it's easy to say, well, this this uh, area of the Middle East was given to to the Jews after World War Two. It's it's a minimalistic approach, but there is so much history to it. And more and more schools are finding ways to get involved, like in Ann Arbor, where the school district okayed a measure for calling for a ceasefire in the Gaza-Israeli conflict. And it is the first school district in Michigan to take such action. They say that students and parents in the district have called for the school district to take action. And and not only did they call for a ceasefire, but but those at the district level said that they were going to make more resources available to educators to try to tackle this very sensitive issue. And of course, when you look in a more broad perspective here in the state of Michigan, um, is this a topic that requires a, a, a level of sensitivity, not a level of of ignoring it? But a level of sensitivity that would that would give students a a perspective that maybe we're not seeing in in some areas of the news. Ben Menka is the superintendent of Novi Community Schools, also sits at the board of directors with the statewide superintendent association. And he joins us. Uh, Superintendent, it's good to have you back. Thank you. I appreciate the invite. You know, this is this is a, a difficult subject, but it is a subject that that. Everybody seems to be very much aware of whether you're an adult or whether you are in in grade school. How how difficult of a subject is this to to teach students, especially when it's ongoing and there are so many different factors involved? How difficult of a subject is this to broach in schools? Yeah, I think it's probably one of the most, if not the most difficult um, that I've seen in my 20 plus years in this business. And I think that um, schools all over are struggling with that right now. And obviously, you know, we serve uh, populations of children that are going to, you know, their families are going to be, you know, falling on both sides of these issues. And so I think uh, schools have to be incredibly careful, um, you know, to try and be sensitive to the fact that they serve all children. And, um, you know, I certainly can understand uh, how certain, you know, communities will get involved in different ways and others not get involved in other ways, because every community is different. And that's what I think is uh, great about our system here in Michigan is that, you know, local communities can, you know, they, they have different, uh, you know, philosophies and expectations on how they handle things. So when you talk to other superintendents across the state uh, about this issue or issues like it, where it's developing in real time, it is sensitive. It, it is it is horrific. It is war. And mm-hmm. and when people's lives are in danger, uh, it, it, you know, it can touch home to a certain degree for a lot of these students. When you're talking to superintendents across the state, how are they dealing with this? 
issue. Yeah, certainly. And I think uh, there's not a one size fits all approach. Um, I think a lot of the common, you know, uh, way that a lot of people deal with it is to say, look, we're, we're going to steer as far away from this as possible. Um, I also think that there's a an approach that is saying, look, we know that there's some things going on and we want to try and help our kids, uh, you know, that need resources and support have that. Um, but I also think that it's a partnership with the home and, you know, everybody, you know, sends their children to us and, hopes that we're going to give them a, a you know an unbiased and you know focus on their education and those things yet we also know that there's real issues going on and it's not just this issue there are many others and so we try to make sure that you know we have resources that we can give families on you know how to talk to your children about these things or um, you know giving them some access to potentially resources from say the national the national uh, social worker association and things like that where they've provided some really good um, you know, very neutral uh, talking points that they can help provide kids that are, you know, struggling through, you know, these these types of things. But we also want school to be a safe place for everybody and a place where they can come and learn and, um, you know, learn how to, you know, do math and focus on their, their you know, their, their learning of English and all of those things in a way that, you know, is safe and, and comfortable for them as well, regardless of their background. You know, you mentioned resources. In the case of Ann Arbor, the the part of the resolution that they passed was that, Teachers and, and educators are going to get more resources and support staff in their classrooms to help with these dialogues, which I, I think is probably admirable. But but part of this, too, and, and we've seen this across a number of different topics, a number of different school situations all across the country where parents are becoming more involved and parents are trying to have their voices heard one way or the other. And and you, I think you touched on it nicely where it's not a one size fits all approach. But have you heard from parents about about the way that an issue like this is being discussed in schools or or have you found that the way that, that you've handled it in the district has been has been met with a, 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 a bit of a, a I guess, a, a pleasing way of how their students are learning about it? Sure. Yeah. And I think uh, to, to be clear, I, I would say that every school district is different, as I said before, and they all have, you know, different ways that they would handle it. And I'm I'm certainly not, you know, one to, to cast, you know, any kind of criticism towards sure. anyone that, you know, makes a particular uh, resolution or not. You know, here in Novi, one of the things that we've chosen to do, um, you know, when it comes to resolutions like this, you know, it can, you know, there there can be, you know, potentially people that see it, you know, a different way. And so our role really here, our goal here is to keep any kind of resolutions like that focused around the scope of our responsibility as a school board and as a 